0: To this week's Eye of the Swarm, your uh, I guess we could call it your official first episode of spring because now this is the first time all the winter sports are out of the way. That's true. This is our very first one where we uh, we have no winter sports to talk about. It's but like we... spring
1: splash fall.
0: <laughs> okay. So how do you how do you? melt those two words uh, together. I'm not going to try. Yeah, okay. I'm just going to
1: say it's uh, spring, spring, but slash we have fall, fall sports happening also at the same time, so I'm just going to say spring slash fall.
0: Before we dive into EWS stuff, though, I wanted to, to go down a rabbit hole with you here because- Oh, boy. No, it's, it's not a bad one, be, okay. but uh, we there's been a lot of talk about, obviously, college basketball at this point oh my with gosh, March yeah. Madness going on and, and everything, and I know you are a lifelong gopher, yes. backer, fan, so just thoughts on the hire. Because um, I, it, it definitely wasn't the the sexy hire people wanted. I'm worried. Okay. I'm worried
1: about this hire. Um, and the reason being is because he checks a lot of the same boxes that Richard Petino checked. Um, supposedly a good recruiter. I know he has very strong ties. And for those of you who don't know, it's Ben Johnson, of course, has been hired, former Gopher. Uh, D'LaSalle High School alum. My dad is also a D'LaSalle High School alum in the city, so... Uh, running there, uh, a little bit of a a family connection there to the high school. um, Go Islanders, I guess. Um, He is, um, by all accounts, he's a very high-character individual, um, but I'm not sure his resume stacks up to a place where he's ready for this job. Um, He's been a career assistant coach. He's had a lot of assistant coaching gigs. Um, Most recently at Xavier. Yep, most recently at Xavier. I was there for three years, was with Richard Pitino for two He was responsible for uh, recruiting Amir Coffey and also Daniel Oturu to the U, Um, and they both made it to the NBA, which was a big selling point. Um, This was a hire that was made to try to, I don't want to say placate, but to kind of create good vibes with the Minnesota basketball community. I can understand that at a very fundamental level because Minnesota is churning out prospects left and right right now. Um, You know, it's it's probably one of the worst kept secrets now in the country, but Minnesota's Producing a lot of really top-flight basketball recruits, um, not to the level of hockey, but there's five-star and four-star athletes coming out of Minnesota now that are top 100 players every year, and high-level ones. And they are not selecting the University of Minnesota. No, to and they're their not basketball and, career, right, and that's that. And that is that was a big strike against uh, Richard Pitino. Um, I had more issues with Richard Petino's coaching than just the fact he didn't recruit Minnesotans very well. Um, ben Johnson will definitely get, I think, a higher level of recruit in, I don't know about his coaching because he's never been a head coach, and that's my issue. Um, you know, It's one thing to have talent, but if you have talent, it doesn't mean you're going to be good. Uh, you have to put that talent together and make it coherent and make it into a team. There's a reason why Kentucky didn't make the NCAA tournament this year, and it isn't because they like talent. There's a reason why Duke didn't make the NCAA tournament this year. Some of it is COVID-related, but they didn't have a very good resume. They would have just sneaked in, um, and they have plenty of talent. North Carolina came in as a low seed this year and got blown out in the first round by the Badgers. Um, And they have plenty of talent. You have to be able to put together a coherent team to make them good. And especially in a conference like the Big Ten, uh, I just, I don't know if he's capable of doing that yet because there's no, there's no resume there that indicates he can. Uh, He's never been the head coach. He's never been the head of a program. He's been an assistant coach and I, I think he's a very good assistant coach. I just don't know if he's ready for this job. Most, Power five jobs, which the U is, or you know, upper level. Uh, full. Explain power five. Power five is more of a term that is used for football, and anything else, uh, but it also applies. Power five conferences are your full blown high level, the highest level of both competition and also uh, resources available. So, so Big Ten, yeah, Big SEC, SEC Pac 12, ACC, those are all considered what you would consider. Uh, power Five conferences in college basketball. You have you have your high majors, which is what that would be considered, and then mid majors. Uh, mid major is a term that's used mostly for college basketball. Um, he's coming technically from a mid major program in Xavier, um, but he did have he does have Power Five experience as an assistant coach. He was both at Nebraska and he was also at the U. Um, he was at Tim with Tim Miles, um, who is right now out of a job, but the, he was also under Richard Pitino at the U for two years. Um, but Mid-majors are the teams that you're looking for for upsets in the big dance. So when you're talking about the NCAA tournament, which is going on right now, and there's been a lot of showing out by the mid-majors this year, go mid-majors. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, um, the U is, is, a, is a high major job. Um, it's part of a power conference. It's a founding member of the Big Ten. Um, and it competes at the highest, highest level of NCAA Division One. That's what you would consider a, a power five. Uh, most of your smaller schools, like in North Dakota State, South Dakota, South Dakota State, North Dakota, um, they are Division I schools, but they compete, for instance, in football at a lower level. They've, they compete at the FCS level versus FBS in football, and that translates down to the other sports as well. Their leagues are not as, as intense. Uh, the recruiting is not nearly as, as high level. You're not going after your top you know, 100 recruits. Usually you might get a few that are in there that are sprinkled in in the top 100 to 150 range, but a lot, of, most of their players are not going to be rated in the top 150. So that's just kind of an overview. Uh, ben Johnson doesn't have any head coaching experience at any level. He's never coached a high school team. He's never coached a college team. Uh, like I said, he's been a career assistant. Um, I hope he does well. I like him as an individual, but it, it's it, – it's created quite a, a a division amongst Minnesota fans over the last few days, because, like I said, the most most Power Five coaches cut their teeth at the mid major level and do well there, um, and have success there. That's why you're going to hear names like the head coach Porter Moser at uh, Loyola of Chicago. He's a big name right now. Teams are you know big schools are going to consider if they decide to make a move, they're going to look at someone like him. They're going to look at a Brian Dutcher at uh, San Diego State, uh, mostly because, uh, and the Gophers were also in talks with him at one point, mostly because he does have Big Ten experience, but he's a head coach at a mid-major and has done well there. Um, that's usually where you're going to go to get your head coaches at the Power Five level. The, uh, Mark Coyle, the University of Minnesota's athletic director, decided not to do that, um, and it's a big gamble. You know, uh, Richard Pitino came from an, a, a very similar background. He had been a head coach for one year when he came in, and it was at a mid-major, but it was for one year. There had not been sustained success, or success, excuse me. He had gone 19 and 15 at Florida International. That was his record coming in. That was his one year as a head coach. So there really wasn't a track record there, and there isn't with Ben Johnson, and that's my concern. Now, will he be able to recruit Minnesota better and, and reduce the complaints on that regard? I think he will. He has, like I said, nice ties. Everybody at the AAU level in Minnesota respects him. Um, and there was some talk that Patino had lost the full respect of not only the high school coaches in Minnesota, but also the AAU circuit. And so they were not going to steer their players or try to talk their players into going to Minnesota. And that's one of the uh, you know theories as to why a lot of these athletes are moving on to other places and going out of state to play. I don't know if that's 100% true or not. But it certainly is a factor, and it does not help. Sure. So that was the reason why – that's the biggest reason why they're bringing Ben Johnson in. But, yeah, from now until the start of twenty one twenty two, there's going to be a lot of guesswork, and nobody quite knows what to make of it yet. Sure. So, And I don't even know if Ben Johnson knows what to make of it yet. So there's going to be a lot of learning over the next few years. But, yeah, I, I'd be lying if I said I'm not concerned about it. I'm rooting for him. I'm hoping he does well. But he, there's some things that he needs to accomplish in my eyes before I can go all in and say this was a good hire.
0: I was just, I was curious I because I, yeah. I I I'm not a yeah, a, yeah I know a, you're not playing. I'm not a big time college basketball guy. You know I'll pay attention to the to March Madness. What and do that's you about um, it. what but, do you
1: make of the tournament so far? Have you seen the results? I mean we were talking about them all weekend during the baseball broadcast
0: when we weren't on the air. Right. It's been a wild tournament. It's so far. It's been crazy.
1: It's been crazy. <laughs> it, the wildest I can remember.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, well, listening to people or seeing it on social media, you know, just. Crying because their brackets are have been just destroyed because nobody saw any of this coming. I mean, it it did not matter, one to sixteen. Yeah, yeah. It, everything was wide open. Oh yeah, and I to be honest with you, and in a way, it's refreshing.
1: I know. I mean, <laughs> I I'm a big fan now of the Fighting Sister Jeans, known as yep. the Leola Ramblers. Um, I went home and i I almost I almost I didn't quite get there, but I almost. Wanted to blast Ramble On by Led Zeppelin just to – because they're just rambling on, man. Yep. I mean, and we got a chance before the baseball games on Sunday to watch them play some of that game on our respective phones against Illinois. And, man, were they impressive. Yeah. They were so impressive that day. Uh, but Oral Roberts, another one. Another one. 15 seed is now a Sweet 16 team. Yep. Uh, you know, it's been a great tournament so far. Just there's been – some Oregon State, who hasn't been – I don't think it's it's been like – they hadn't even won an NCAA tournament game since, like, 1981
0: or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's been, like, 30, 35 years.
1: Yeah, since they – it's been a long – I have to go back and look it up. But now they're in the Sweet 16. Right. I mean, it's just been a wild year. Illinois's loss to Loyola, by the way. I don't know how many brackets that ruined because – Most of them. <laughs> because Illinois was a hot favorite to win the whole thing, not yep. just get, you know, to the Sweet 16 or to win their first round game. They were a big favorite to go and possibly even beat Gonzaga. Right. You because know, Gonzaga's the other you know team that everyone's picking, um, but now that's out the window, and it's pretty much wide open now. Right. Um, I will say I'm a little bit underwhelmed with what the Big Ten did,
0: but, and, <laughs> or didn't do. What they didn't do, right? Yeah, and I, I you know, I'm not a bracket guy. I never fill out a bracket or anything, but I, I just, I don't think I would ever pick a, a Big Ten team to go yeah. deep. I mean, and, we got Michigan, and, that's and for one that's sure left. to win it because yeah. traditionally they get here in pretty good numbers you know you know you'll have seven or eight big ten teams in the tournament right yeah. and day one half of them are gone yeah and they they just they don't produce well on this right. stage
1: I you know the thing that's also been nice and 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 far be it for me to go too far into um what the talking heads say because I don't watch a lot of fox sports I don't watch ESPN I don't get into the talking heads Stephen A. Smith made a good point, and I agree with him. What's making this so much fun is that the Blue Bloods are absent. Yes. Now, I know that And that's people, what I meant when
0: I said refreshing.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kentucky and Duke didn't even make it to the tournament. North Carolina got knocked out in the first round. Kansas has one of their their least strong teams in decades. Mm-hmm. And it's opened up sort of this Pandora's box now where anybody could win this thing. Yep. You know, this is the year—and someone said so this is the year a mid-major could actually— you know, in theory, win the whole thing. Right. You know, and we haven't had a mid-major win the national, you know, quote-unquote mid-major win the NCAA tournament since, like, the 60s. So, you know, I mean, I I go back and and, and think about it. It's probably, you know, Bill Russell in San Francisco winning a couple of national titles. Um, Loyola has been to the Final Four. Now they're going for their second in three years. They uh, made the final four in the '60s at some point too. I think '63 is when it, when, Le- when Loyola had gone before their last one two years ago. But um, man, it, I mean, this is the year. That's it's legitimate. Like mm-hmm. there's a legitimate shot that we could see, like we saw with Butler and Duke that one year, right? Where we could have another year like that, where a mid-major could make it all the way to the title game and maybe even win it this time, right? And that's what's amazing. And right?
0: and, and it's fun. Yeah, you know, it's it's I, I, I mean, I, Virginia didn't make it through. Virginia I'm sorry was the for everybody and their, and their brackets. I'm really sorry about <laughs> that, but it's, it's, it's what makes it fun. right?
1: Yeah, Virginia has had the, the ultimate peak and Valley the last few years, becoming the first number one seed to ever lose to a 16. Mm-hmm. Then the next year they win the whole thing, and then they got knocked out in the second round this year. Right. So, you know, college basketball is becoming wilder and woolier each year, and it's becoming harder and harder to predict. And that's
0: okay. Yeah.
1: That's what makes it. That's what makes it so. Fun.
0: And, and that's okay.
1: Yeah. That's what makes it so much fun. Mm-hmm. Kind of like college hockey has gone that way now too.
0: Yeah. You never know who's going to be. You really don't.
1: Yeah. Exactly. You and that's really the don't. great thing
0: about it. I love it. I, I love it. Mm-hmm.
1: I miss that. I haven't been able to see a lot of it, but
0: that's the hard part. You yeah. know, like I said all that. The one on last weekend, right. I didn't see any of it. Right. You yeah. know, I, I mean, we
1: were we were checking in in between innings. Right. But that but was about that was hit. that was about the
0: extent of it. So anyway, let's talk about innings. Okay. So let's let's jump from uh, Division One back down <laughs> to D three, where we live, and. Uh, yeah, You know, talking about innings, uh, there were a lot of them, and there were a lot of hits and runs scored in most of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about that. Uh, John and I were up close and personal for baseball this weekend. Uh, Yellow Jackets in Northland College. A very odd. Talking about going down the rabbit hole, I felt like this was kind of a, a weekend of baseball that was kind of going down the rabbit hole in a certain way. It kind of was like a, a full season wrapped up in four games because yeah. you saw a little bit of everything in these yeah, four you did. games. You know, and it was crazy. I mean, thankfully, at the end of the day, the Yellow Jackets have now won six in a row. They're six and four. Um, and they swept that four game set against Northland this weekend at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex in Superior. Uh, we'll give you some particulars. I'm not going to go down. Please the, don't. Yeah, the the full litany of what happened all weekend because we'd be here all day. We would. I'm just going to say this: the Yellow Jackets won all four games. Final scores were 22 to eight, 15 to 14, 20 to 10, and then five to three. Um, one of these things is not like the others (laughs) yeah it was like I said it kind of ran the gamut of everything that (laughs) baseball can be and sometimes maybe shouldn't be at a certain point just because it was very atypical in a lot of ways but um, it was interesting Jackets won that first game 22-8 to got out to a big lead early a lot of home runs this weekend we'll talk about that in a second a lot of extra base hits a lot of runs scored 22-8 uh, in the first game. And then in the second game, we had it became a nail-biter. Um, we didn't really think it would be, but it ended up being a nail-biter. Northland actually jumped out on the L-Jackets after Game 1, just to set the sequence of events here. Jackets led basically throughout Game 1. They got up like 13-1 or something like that, and then just kind of cruised from there. Northland scored some runs late. But 22-8, that was pretty straightforward, even though the score was high. Game 2, uh, Northland jumped on the Jackets early and got up 14-3 going to the bottom of the third. And then the L Jackets kind of chipped away and ended up coming all the way back to complete the comeback, scoring six times in the bottom of the six, including a Grand Slam home run by Nick Shea and then back to back because Ryan Castaneda came up next. Right. And it was solo shot to tie the game. Mm hmm. And then the Jackets scored what ended up being the winning run in that inning to make it fifteen fourteen. Then Matt Tappy stranded well, the Well, it was on run. a
0: pass ball. I mean, it was really anticlimactic with all the <laughs> offense that was going, and then you score the winning run on yeah. a pass ball. Then Matt Tappy
1: strands the tying run at
0: third. After taking a line drive off the leg yeah, from the leadoff man. Yeah. The
1: strikeout. He strikes out one of Northland's best hitters uh to end the game. Yep. And the Jackets win both games on game on day one, fifteen twenty two to eight and fifteen fourteen. And it's like, okay, well. Nice win. Good job to come back. Game was really high scoring, both of them, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in game three, it was more of the same. Jackets jumped out early. Uh, That game was played on Sunday morning. 20 to 10 ended up being the final score. But in that 20 to 10 game, Northland hit back to
0: back to back to back home runs. That's not possible. (laughs) You can't have back to back to back to back. (laughs) You said that Because Only two can be back to back. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but they went one, two, three, and four. They had four consecutive home runs. Home runs. Yeah. But
0: you can't have back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back
1: to back. After the fourth one, I remember you did turn to me in the press box and said, that's not physically possible. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> I said, well, if you get four people, you know, I, well, you could you could try it, but it doesn't go. But anyway, they're not going back to back. You know, be back-to-back. They'll be
0: shoulder-to-shoulder, and then you have a cube.
1: Right, yeah. So Northland managed to do something that's physically impossible. They had four straight home <laughs> runs, but the Jackets still managed to I don't blame
0: it. anybody if they just turn this thing off right oh, now. no. <laughs>
1: Well, we've gone down a couple of rabbit holes yes, here already. 20-10 was the final score, and then we all of a sudden, a pitcher's duel broke out in game four. 5-3. a
0: game that was done in an hour and 36 minutes.
1: Yeah. I mean, the two pitchers just pounded the strike zone and said, here it is, boys, hit it, and everybody, I think, was worn out from all those swings. Right. From the first three games, everybody was hitting home runs and running around the bases and everything else, and ended up being 5-3. But the Jackets, at the end of the day, they ended up winning all four games, and are now 6-4. and four. Um, for the weekend, the Jackets, just to give you a quick summary of how much offense there was this weekend, the Jackets came into the weekend hitting two seventy-five as a team. They raised their batting average by <laughs> ninety-four points. <laughs> they went from two seventy-five to three sixty-nine in <laughs> two days of baseball to raise their team batting average to nearly three seventy. And wow. <laughs> 94 points. That's a lot. The batting average went up. That's a lot of points. UWS ended up scoring 62 runs on 62 hits, so pretty, <laughs> pretty efficient. And they also hit 16 home runs over the four games. Northland hit like eight. So I think we ended up with 23, 24 home runs in the four games. Balls Ryan up. Rodriguez, Dante Bender, Brendan Kruger, and Bryce Flanagan got the pitching wins for, the U, uh, for UWS. Three of those four started the game. Bender got the win in relief. He was the winning pitcher in the 15-14 game, and he pitched a really nice game.
0: Yeah, he did. He, he he pitched really well. That yeah. the way the bullpen shut them down after the, the three innings and allowed the offense to come yeah, back was he was really good. It was I, really impressive. Yeah,
1: he. I mean, I remember thinking because we talked about it. You know, four You know, game might not be over though because the wind's blowing out. That's the other thing. This was a lot of this was wind aided. We should put that in there.
0: <laughs> the stat people don't need to know that. Yeah,
1: exactly. But uh, yeah, I mean, the playing conditions were windy. Uh, the ball was flying out of the park, and uh, a lot of runs were scored. But the jackets. At the end of the day, you know what? You throw all those numbers out there, and they're six and four. So uh, they had a game today that was doubleheader today. It was postponed due to inclement weather. But... Thank God.
0: <laughs> but that would be a miserable day oh, to be outside yeah. today. For... Not
1: necessarily for us. But Recording for this
0: on a no, it'd be miserable for us too. Recording yeah, this on a there. on a Wednesday, and there was supposed to be a doubleheader today, but it's raining cats and dogs outside. The wind it is howling off the lake. It was not going to be a pleasant day to play baseball.
1: No, not at all. So they're six and four now. Uh, we'll move on to softball. They only played two games. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, they lost them both. Fell to Hamlin eight to nothing and five to two at the Dundas Dome in Dundas, Minnesota on Saturday. I feel like they've gotten pretty up close and personal with that venue. You
0: should know the route by now.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> straight down thirty-five, uh, all the way down to Northfield and turn then left, uh, turn right or left, yeah, whatever. In game one versus the Pipers uh, on Saturday, UWS only trailed one nothing, so it wasn't like they got blown out of the water one nothing going to the bottom of the fifth before Hamlin scored seven times in that frame to win it in run real fashion. Taylor Kramer pitched for the Yellow Jacks. She started pitched the first four and a third, giving up eight hits, eight runs, seven earned. Four walks and two strikeouts. Marley Bird pitched one-third of an inning there in that uh, 8 nothing loss. Olivia Bancroft, Hart, Kayla Kramer, Marley Bird, and Davriana Horvath each had one hit. The Jackets only finished with four hits for that game, so those are the four that ended up with the four hits for UWS. In game two, UWS scored their runs in the bottom of the first and the bottom of the sixth. Melania Medill went all the way in the circle for the Jackets. Seven innings pitched, nine hits, five runs, four of which were earned. She walked three and struck out three. Marley Bird went two for two with a double, while Davion Horvath went two for three with a run scored. So they only played two games last week. But they, uh, they were, are supposed to play a couple of doubleheaders coming up in the next week or so, but who knows whether that will happen or not. And we'll talk more about that in the final segment. Uh, men's and women's tennis. The men are 3-2 and two on the season now. The women are 2-4. and four. Women lost two matches this weekend to UW Stevens Point on Saturday and UW Lacrosse on Sunday by identical 9 0 scores, uh, while the men lost to UW Lacrosse in their lone match of the week, 6 3. Uh, on the men's side, the L Jackets got singles wins from Gergo, Potts, and Andre Louise, along with a doubles win from the duo of Louise and Jacob Zacharias at number two doubles. Uh, the women were supposed to also play a match today, but that's been postponed due to inclement weather. They're supposed to play UMD. At the outdoor tennis courts outside the Markovich Wellness Center. But uh, those games will be, or that match, I should say, hopefully will be rescheduled at some point. Uh, I'm not sure when that'll be, but who knows. I mean, this is all, you know. Well, this
0: is spring sports. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, in this area, this is spring sports. This is. The schedule is always very fluid because the, the fact that we're talking baseball, softball, outdoor tennis. Right. In the middle of March, is yeah. strange in itself because we yeah. usually aren't at this point. No, no, we're usually not. You at know, all. you go back a year and I, there was still several inches of snow on the ground. Right. Yeah. Last year, so the fact that we're talking about this is it's is, all a little strange. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: the whole thing. Uh, volleyball, meanwhile, six and one overall, four and one in the UMAC. They split two matches last week. Both of them went four sets. Lots of St. Scholastica for their first defeat of 2021, three sets to one on Thursday in Duluth before downing Bethany Lutheran on the road in Mankato. Three sets to one. Again, St. Scholastica, the Jackets, took the first set, 25-17, but then they lost the next three, 25-15, 25-19, and 25-20. Again, their first loss of the season. UWS hit just 059 for the match, while the Saints hit 106. Lexi Preed, as she normally does, leading the way for the Jackets. 16 kills, 24 digs. Cassie Teff, 13 kills, 20 digs. Megan Holtz, 36 assists, and 23 digs. Haley Atwood, 22 more digs, while Lisa Ertl had 11 digs. A lot of digs in that match. A lot uh, of digs. Yeah, a lot of swings both ways. Usually those uh, the matches with St. Glasgow feature a lot of long points. Mm-hmm. So then, that happened again on uh, Thursday. And the L Jackets rebounded with that three or three sets to one win against Bethany Lutheran on Saturday. Jackets won by set scores of 25-23, 25-19, 21-25, and 25-17. Jackets hitting 179 for the match while the Vikings hit 111. Lexi Preet, again, leading the way for the L Jackets. 15 kills, 14 digs. Megan Holes, 30 assists, Cassie Teff, and Haley Atwood each had 14 digs as well for the L-Jackets in that match against the Vikings on Saturday. Men's soccer, meanwhile, they're kind of the lone outlier here because they actually had an exhibition game. But uh, they're going to be a good team this year, no doubt about it. Uh, They played St. Cloud State, (laughs) Division II program that's just starting up uh, in the NSIC. Actually, I think they're technically going to be uh, independent. I, I think, think they're I'm independent, saying. yeah. Yeah, technically. Um, they had an exhibition game on the road this uh, past Sunday. They were at St. Saint- Cloud State and ended up uh, being the Huskies 2-1. to one. Um, And then uh, had their game as well postponed. Uh, that was supposed to be today. They're, it was supposed to be their home opener. They were supposed to play St. Scholastica tonight at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. Inclement Weather stepped in and said, no, you're not. So that game is going to be rescheduled. And the same thing with women's soccer. They were supposed to play on uh, last Tuesday. night. Tuesday. Yeah. Yep, last night. Against Northland College, that game also due to inclement weather, uh, is postponed. Um and I, is that one is that the one that's been rescheduled for this Tuesday? Yes. Okay. We'll talk more about that in the final segment, but I just wanted to clarify that. So that, yep. that's what happened last week or was supposed to happen last week. And uh so that was the week that was. But uh yeah, it's been a kind of a wild and woolly few days here for us.
0: <laughs> Has been. Yeah. Has been and it's going to be like that all spring. I've I, yeah, I've, I, uh, I've taken to the phrase, embrace the chaos, because that's basically yeah, what this is yeah, going well, to be for the next five to six well, weeks.
1: You and I have certainly saw plenty of chaos on uh, uh, Saturday and Sunday. No so.
0: doubt about that. Yeah. So with that, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will talk to the head coach of the team that caused most of that chaos, Frank Pufal, along with uh, left-handed pitcher Dante Bender, as they join us for the roundtable segment of Eye of the Swarm right after this.
2: Workers Island Inn is now hiring and there's a position just for you. Apply for front desk, housekeeper, bartender, server, cook, and dishwasher. We are hiring great people like you. Call or click for more information and apply today.
0: We're back for the roundtable part of this week's Eye of the Swarm and we are joined by Yellow Jacket baseball coach Frank Pufal and left-handed pitcher Dante Bender. And I just I want to go on the record, coach, and say thank you for postponing the games today because this would not have been fun outside. <laughs> As we record this on Wednesday morning, the, uh, the wind howling at about 30 miles an hour off the lake, the sideways rain, this wouldn't have been a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, it sounds like superior baseball. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, let's not... Uh... Pretend that this is out of the ordinary. No, it's not, but <laughs> I'm, just, I'm
0: glad we don't have to be out there today. Uh, yeah, even I mean, with inside that press box,
1: uh, the wind gets going a little bit. But yeah. It'd be absolutely miserable to be on the field, I think, today.
0: Yeah. As a pitcher, <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't imagine.
2: Yeah, I'm sure it wouldn't be the first time I've played in something like this, but it's not enjoyable now.
0: We didn't have the the rain this past
2: weekend, but we had the wind.
1: Mm-hmm. Or did
0: we ever.
2: <laughs> Do, does that mess with you at all? Um. In some ways, I mean, you're always thinking, as you saw, like how many home runs were hit. That's always in the back of your head, like, oh, if this guy hits a pop fly, it could easily go over the fence. So that affects it a little bit. In some ways, I enjoyed it a little bit. Some of my pitches were kind of like falling off the plate a little bit more. It was kind of cool. Right. It's, yeah, it's in the back of your head that wind blowing straight out. It's kind of scary sometimes.
0: And I was wondering, too, from a a pitch standpoint, you know, does it add movement, particularly when it's that windy? Yeah, it definitely does sometimes. Should be a knuckleballer in that.
3: <laughs> we used him for one out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he did, yeah. True. So it was, a, it was a good weekend for the your squad. Uh, six wins in a row now, and uh, let's talk about that a little bit because I, I think if, if we go back six months, seven months, Coach, you and I were, would have conversations and go, boy, I, are, are we actually going to going to get to that point where we're playing games here in March, April, and May, and here we are. So, you know, that in itself, I think, is a, a little bit of a victory to be able to, ha- to have your team in a position where you're playing games and, and above 500 now.
3: Yeah, I think, like you said, it's even, you know, a couple weeks before opening day, I think we were still watching what was going on with basketball and everything. And really, I didn't think we were going to believe that we were going to play games until we actually got there. And you know, to be able to go to U.S. Bank early in the year like we have and get those games in was, was good, and kind of like we've talked in the past too, I think this team is kind of built to grow, so the more games we can get in early the, to be able to play these games and to have that conference uh, schedule out there, I think it's just good to see the guys back on the field. It's good to, to be talking baseball stuff instead of pandemic stuff, and, yeah, it's, it's,
0: we had a good weekend, and hopefully that momentum keeps going forward from a player's standpoint, you know, having lost your season last spring Mm -hmm. and seeing how things were unfolding in January and February with basketball, hockey, start, stop, start, stop, games postponed, games canceled. Did you, was it in your minds that, boy, we, we could really lose a second season here?
2: Yeah, especially when I started seeing, like, each week hockey team games get canceled and basketball games, I was like, I was really, like, I was kind of afraid that, another season we got canceled or like they'd tell us oh you only get 12 conference games something like that and like once we started testing three days a week I was really afraid that there'd be a time in there we wouldn't even get to play in the bank because it was indoors so that was always in the back of my head like each week one or three days a week trying to make sure we don't test positive just so we can get some games in before we start playing outside and stuff and I suppose you're always nervous for that phone call (laughs) (laughs) Fortunately, most of those
3: phone calls or text messages were just that somebody overslept and missed their appointment <laughs> so I could get on top of them and we could get them there before the day that, was done. But, um, you know, we had a couple Fridays. We didn't get a chance to practice early in the year. Uh, fortunately, those were false positives, and we were able to get back with the whole team by Sunday. So we have had some pauses, um, but they were just momentary and hadn't disrupted us too much. Um, I know there's some other programs right now that are are in a similar situation. We're hoping the best for them. And um, yeah, like Dante said, we're just happy to be out there. And I do think e- even being back outside, every testing day is nerve-wracking and, and we just want to get through that day, which is, is an
2: interesting uh, feature this season. <laughs> that, that first half hour or 45 minutes after you get tested, I'm like checking my phone every three minutes, just like, please, please don't get a call. I don't want to
0: get a call. I couldn't imagine having to go through something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard enough when... I only do it once every two weeks and you know for that hour after I do it I'm wondering okay what's gonna is the call gonna come in because mm-hmm. I I don't want to be in a position where I'm not able to do what I need to do so I can't imagine being from a, a team standpoint what what all of that would would be like but let's let's not talk pandemic let's talk baseball here uh your, your team's scoring some runs Frank and I <laughs> the man to my right here had the the privilege to call the four games this week, and uh the offense was rolling.
3: <laughs> yeah, it came in a good time. You know, I think um, coming out of U.S. Bank, we had, we had struggled a little bit at the plate. I think some of that was early season. I think some of that was, you know, we have played a lot of guys. We do have a lot of new guys on the team. Um, we saw some good pitching at, at U.S. Bank as well. Um, but I think, you know, I, I got to give a lot of credit to Coach Marshall, who in that week leading up to Northland, kind of made some adjustments with how we were attacking practices, where our focus was going to be, and interestingly enough, I would say we, we simplified things in practice and focused more on contact and two-strike approach and putting the ball in play, and, and sure enough, you do that, and some of the other things tend to take care of themselves. So, yeah, we, I, I don't know if we've ever questioned our offense. We've, we've always believed in the guys. Traditionally, it's been one of our strengths here. Um, but I think just, I, I think the strikeouts and hitting with runners and scoring position was a little bit concerning those six games. I, I, like I said, it was early. Um, no one had hit the panic button yet, but I think there there was starting to creep in a little bit. Are we going to have to find ways to manufacture runs that we haven't traditionally done and and that? Mm-hmm. But um, I think if you look at kind of the, the first six games and then the four games, I think you can see a good balance between when pitching can go out and, and help us get some wins and then when offense gets clicking, obviously they can take care of some things too, so I think if we can find a way as we continue to grow and keep moving forward, start putting those two things together, I think that we can do some damage
0: as the season goes on. It'd make you a little bit nervous because you're you're in those first four games there, and you're, you know, we're picking up the ball, we're playing good defense, our guys are getting on the hill, we're throwing really well, and we just can't get, we can't, we're doing 20 runs in your first six games.
3: Yeah, yeah
0: I don't know if nervous is the right word, I think...
3: If you, you know, traditionally baseball should be a 3-2 game or a 4-5 game. So I think we're in many ways playing better baseball. I think the question for me was, can we with a young team find ways to make sure that we are on the 5-4 side or on the 4-2 side more so than the flip side? I think that uh, was more what I was interested to see with this team than really too concerned about offense or too concerned about putting ourselves in a position to win baseball games. And I would say in game two on Saturday that that question was answered very positively when we're down 11 in probably more so than any time that I have been here. The team stayed up. The team continued to fight. Yes, the wind helped, and knowing that we could score definitely helped them be able to stay up, but traditionally we have not done a great job of fighting back like that. So I think that was very encouraging about this team in particular, especially as young as it is to just see them be able to answer back and to see them stay positive in those innings and continue to fight. And I think one of the best things too was in the past, I think we've tried to hit 12 run home runs each inning. And in this team, you would hear guys in the dugout, hey, let's just get one or two. Like, we just need two or three right now. Just, mm-hmm. you, know, you didn't have that sense that we had to get it all back. And for a young team that, like I said, concerned about can we find ways to win, to hear that early in the season, especially, I think was very, very encouraging. And Despite the offensive output, despite all the other good things, I think that was probably the thing that I was most uh, excited about or happy about to, to hear coming from our team this weekend.
0: It was interesting, too, because you were on, on the air, Matt, and you, you said during that second game, I think, I don't remember if we were on air or if it was off air, but you kind of looked over at me and said, I don't feel like this is out of reach when they were down 10. Yeah, and it was that funny I, thing of 14 runs isn't is enough to win this thing, right, but yeah. that was kind of where you were going with well, that. It, just, yeah, it was that kind of I day.
1: Was, I'm glad you brought that up, John, because I was going to go there with that. Um, I, the conditions this weekend were, um, not exactly normal. I would say in regards to the wind, uh, it's the first time I broadcasted games, especially four in a row where the wind was that strong blowing out, especially, I mean, anything that got elevated at all was going to carry and really carry. I mean, you're talking maybe even a hundred feet beyond where it might otherwise go. And it really felt like, with the way that the conditions were and the the way that the games were being pitched that you guys still were right in it, I thought at 14-4. I think I said it off air in between maybe the fourth and fifth innings. I was like, you know, this isn't out of reach. And I think you turned to me and you said, yeah, I don't think it is either. And uh, we had a hockey player, Austin Friesen, was on working scoreboard, and he kind of looked at us, like, and he kind of agreed too. Like, I mean, it was still one of those situations where even at 14-4, it felt like, you know, we just get – if we get a little – bit of momentum and we start you know elevating the ball a little bit and uh, can get a couple guys on base this is within reach and a lot of that had to do with the fact that like I said the conditions were ripe for it you know if you got anything into the zone and you can get underneath it and hit it towards the outfield the chances were pretty good that it was either going to be a gapper and get to the wall hit the wall or go over the wall like that was kind of my thought process on that Mm -hmm. just the amount of extra base hits that were put in play this weekend i mean i didn't look at all the slugging numbers and all that kind of stuff for the weekend but yeah i really felt like you know in game two and that was i think the kind of the standout game of the four on -hmm. the weekend um just because of the fact like you said you guys face some adversity um you know it was eight nothing then it was eight three and i thought okay now they're coming back into it then northland goes and scores six in the next inning And I thought, oh, boy, okay, well, now it's 14-3. Then we get one back, and it's 14-4. And I thought, well, you know what, though? Still, this is not – we still got a lot of innings to play here yet before this game can be put to bed. And then you guys had that sixth-run sixth. And then, uh, you know, the save that came in after that from Matt Tappy, which was nice Mm -hmm. to have. But that entire sequence I felt like kind of summed up the weekend for you guys. You guys just really stuck with it all weekend offensively and just did enough to get through a couple of close games. Mm -hmm. And then you just really teed off the other two games. So it was kind of a full – kind of a full – plate of you got every kind of situation you could possibly want and I thought you guys came through in all of them pretty pretty darn well.
3: Yeah you know I I think as you're talking about that game and you know being down and I think everyone did have confidence in the offense's ability to score but you know Dante comes in and throws three innings of shutout ball to keep us in that game you know if he doesn't do that and they they tack on one or they tack on two we, we can keep putting up offensive numbers all day long but we had to shut them down and Dante went out and did a great job just hanging a zero every inning and keeping us, giving the offense that opportunity, and I think that was Dante's first win here at UWS, mm-hmm. so that was a, a good time for it and well-deserved. Yeah. Oh, no. well,
1: yeah, he did a great job. I mean, I talked about that. We, I thought it was within reach, but I thought we can't give up a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like that was maybe one. You know, I mean, we, we, we really were at that point where it's like, it's still within reach, but we can't give up anymore,
2: was- you know. That was the first time going in a game down by, like, 10 or more runs that I was like, "I, we can still win this game. Like, this is a winnable game. Like, I had the confidence in the back of my head, we can win it. Mm-hmm. Just take it one inning at a time and try exactly. to keep them
0: off and then let our guys just chip back at it. Exactly. No, and I, but it, it diff- it's a different mindset, though. I mean, because a lot of times you do go in down 10, you're, okay, let's just – let's stop the bleeding and, Mm -hmm. you know. and Let's get some innings. And and have this not be a horribly embarrassing result in the end, but there's definitely a different mindset of let's stop the bleeding because the offense is coming.
2: Exactly. Like I've seen it before where, you know, you get down by a couple runs, but our offense starts, you know, fourth, fifth inning, starting to hit more and score more runs. Like I didn't know when I went into the fourth inning or whatever it was. That like they were they were gonna start hitting the ball like it, it wasn't like we were just our bats were dead all game like they were gonna come back and start hitting the ball so I did not know just put up zeros you have to we we touched on it a little bit earlier with the wind and everything
0: but Matt brought it up all anything that gets in the air was gonna was gonna had a good chance to find a, a power alley or or get out over the fence so it, how do you approach that mentally knowing I got to keep this thing down
2: mm-hmm. uh, I mean kind of the way I. Especially with windy games like that, but anytime, I'm I'm not the kind of guy that likes to strike guys out. I'm just I go in there and make guys hit ground balls. That was just my goal. Was just you know pitch at the knees and make them chop down on baseballs and ground out to people. And that's that's just what I went in there trying to do. Was just to get ground balls. That was the best way to put up zeros and win that game. That was the most important thing too. I thought was we talked about it, John, before
1: we went on the air, and I think Frank, you and I talked about it even when we were doing the interview. Maybe. I don't think we talked about it necessarily during the interviews, but you and I talked about it leading up to the interview and then we, when we weren't recording. Keep the ball down. I mean, if you elevate anything today, you've got a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, um, you know, I thought, you know, particularly Dante and your, your relievers, for the most part, all weekend did a really good job of keeping the ball down. And, you know, let them, make them put it in play, but let our defense make some plays. You know, mm-hmm. and that you know, I thought you did an outstanding job. You know, and that it's a tough spot, though, when you come in at 14-3 or 14-4. And it's like, you're trying to gain some momentum for your team. But at the same time, it's not like the bench is going crazy for you at that time. I mean, the bench really got loud, of course, during the sixth inning when you guys hit the grand slam. And then, uh, you know, Castaneda hit the home run to tie it. That was when it really got loud for you guys as far as, like, the cheering and stuff. But when you're down 14-4 and you're really just looking for someone to pick it up, it's almost up to the pitcher and the catcher to just kind of set the tone. You know, pick up the energy, and then hopefully it'll just sprinkle down to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And it felt like that's exactly what happened on that on that game as well. Yeah, let's say Frank agrees. He's, just <laughs> nodding over there. He's not adding anything.
0: <laughs> not a video podcast, Frank. They uh, can't see you yeah. nod yes on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Coach, do you agree though? I mean, does that to that kind of come down to it?
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, Dante's a guy that w- traditionally we've put in a situation where we need zeros and need to go hangouts, and it's probably not always been the most favorable spot for him to go in. So he's had some experience doing that in the past for us, so that's kind of why we chose to go with Dante. He's been there before. We know he can go hang zeros in that situation. We know the offense can come back. And kind of to your point and kind of what he was saying on how he pitches – I also thought he could go in and get us some quick innings because he isn't a guy that's going to run up five, six, seven pitches against a guy and try to strike him out. He's going to try to get some weak contact early, and in that situation, if you can get a seven, eight pitch inning, get off the field, get the offense going, score a run or two, get him back out there, get another quick inning, let the defense play, all of that momentum kind of carries over, and Mm. kind of to your point... Well, I wouldn't say that Dante and our catchers are the most animated people on our team at times. I think there's other ways that you can build momentum and kind of within the game, that that quick inning, that throwing strikes, having the defense ready, knowing they're going to have the opportunities to make some plays behind them, that type of momentum definitely can carry over uh, into the offense. And like I said, I think one of the biggest reasons we went to Dante in that situation is he was, of our options, probably one of the best pitchers to put in that spot to do those types of things. Um, without like I said without having a real swing and miss guy who's going to go out there and, and shut it down and, and bring a lot of fire um, personality wise I don't think we really have that pitching staff right now, so we have, they have other ways to get it done
2: I had to give a lot of credit to defense in those few innings too I mean there was like our our like pickoff play at second, cutting it off and throwing it at home getting that guy that runner out uh, I think Yvon made a play at third instead of throwing it to first throwing it getting that leading runner at third I mean. All those situations led to putting up zeros, too. So that was big in those innings, too. So this carries over then into Sunday, and the first game of that is another
0: slugfest where... <laughs> is that fair? I, yeah, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I mean, I was
1: kind of running out of adjectives on the air. Um, I mean, every time there was a ball that was hit out, basically all weekend, I, I would turn and look and be like, what do you guys think? Like, you know, like... <laughs> it's, it, and we were all kind of dumbfounded at a certain point, I think, because the win was heavy on Saturday, it was even heavier at least for the first game yeah. on Sunday, so I thought, well, I don't know how many runs
0: we're going to see scored now, but
1: to your point, John, yeah, it was a slug it was a
0: slug fest, and uh they had that inning where they hit four consecutive and you know i
1: I was I, dumbfounded i I've, I've had never no seen idea. it in person.
0: We talked about it a little bit before we we went on here. I've never seen that in person i I remember a number of years ago in pro ball with the, when the Dodgers did it, um, but it's something in all your years of baseball you've never seen before, four consecutive home runs.
3: Not that I can think of. I, I, definitely nothing that stands out. I, I've seen three a couple of times, but never, not that I can think of where I've seen four in a row. You know, we put Mike on the mound. We're trying to find ways to get him more involved and get him more time on the field, and, you know, he, if you've seen him play from the outfield, he definitely has one of our strongest arms, and looking back maybe with the wind blowing in it's going to keep his ball up a little bit more in the zone and not having a lot of experience on the mound maybe tougher to make the adjustment so but at the same time he went out and with the way the game was and he pounded the zone and threw strikes and that's more often than not if you can fill out the zone you're going to be able to be successful I think you know there's there's some lessons there about getting out of the middle of the plate that both he and our whole staff can can take from that but um and, you know, Matt and I talked a little bit about this. Northland's better than their stats say. They're better than they they swing the ball. They'd seen um, some very good arms earlier in the week. Uh, they're not going to be an easy team come conference play. I, you know, they I think one of the biggest takeaways from them is they're not going to go away. It doesn't matter what the score is. And I think you have to uh, appreciate a team that continues to fight, especially with the week they've had, especially in the conditions, especially watching us put up as many home runs as we did. You know, For them to come to the plate and be able to do that is extremely impressive. No, it doesn't matter who's on the mound or what pitches are like That's mm-hmm. That's good for them, and I think that's in some ways a nice reminder for us the next time we play them to know that we're going to have to come out and play hard and put it on them right away and not let them hang around. So,
1: I thought it was good that you came out the dugout after the fourth and talked to everybody on the infield after that one. I, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall at a certain point to hear what that conversation entailed. I, I'm guessing it would be just settle down. <laughs> you know, at this point, or just keep.
0: I'm picturing Bull Durham right now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know,
1: it might have been one of those kind of moments too. I don't. We're know. dealing I with mean, a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Uh, it it was Mike. It was pretty lighthearted. It was more to take a deep breath than anything. I mean, he. I think for Mike, the first one was kind of like whatever, and then once you've given up four in a row, I don't care who you are, how mentally tough you are you just need to take a little pause there and mm-hmm. I wanted to let him know that we still had confidence in him and he was doing a good job. He just needed to get down, but it was more lighthearted than anything. I think a couple of the players cracked some jokes while we were out there and, and again at that point we were still comfortably ahead. I, I don't think we could have gotten too much, you know, I, we don't want to give up too many more runs at that point um, just because I've been in Superior long enough to know <laughs> that games can turn very quickly and, and runs can come in bunches, but um, you know, I, I just, again, wanted to go out there and, and lighten it up, give him a deep breath, and, and let him know that we still believed in him out there. And It wasn't anything super insightful or any, any fantastic one-liners or anything like that. But.
1: Well, Dante, what was your, I mean, you had pitched three scoreless innings the day before. Mike comes in in relief. Guys were, were up comfortably, like you said at the time. So it didn't do a ton of damage, really. It was more of a, wow, that's really odd. <laughs> you know, that was more of the, <laughs> what we just saw is really strange. Um, it was more of that kind of mindset. What, as a pitcher, would your mindset be? At? What, what were you First of all, what did you think from the bench? And second of all, what would your mindset have been if you had been on the mound in that case?
2: Uh, after the first or even the second one, I was like, okay, every, both teams have been hitting home runs all day. It's going to happen or whatever. And so then the third, it was like, okay, this is kind of scary. And then the fourth one, I was like, wow, this is This is very scary, and I was like, but I I mean, I still had confidence. Like Mike was gonna, you know, get out of that inning or whatever. Like I, I still had confidence in him as a pitcher. On the just, if I was in that situation, I mean, I don't know. A guy like Mike is probably the best guy to have up there during that situation. He's doesn't really get down on himself, so he's you know, he's probably the best guy to have that confidence. Be like, okay, I can still do this. So, I don't know. From that standpoint, yeah, like if anybody was gonna go up there and give up four runs, four home runs in a row. He was probably the best guy to be up there to to still finish it out.
1: Well, as a, as a catcher myself, I I'm try, I was kind of trying to put myself in that position if I'm the catcher, and I would have like definitely gone out to the mound to talk. But I would have almost looked into the bench and been like, "Is there someone coming out to talk <laughs> with us here?" <laughs> like, because I feel like we just need to ha- hit pause here and just catch our breaths and then just keep the 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 moment light and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you do like as former players and John. I know you played catcher as well. Um, you just put yourself in that situation because in all the years, that, like I said, I played ball. I've never played in a game or or announced a game or broadcasted a game quite like that one before. In that circumstance, it was just very odd. The whole thing was just very mm-hmm. strange. you know. And the fact that we had, what was it, three Grand Slams hit this weekend, that's another thing. I had right. not seem you know, I mean, it was just a very, the entire weekend mm-hmm. was sort of surreal in that regard. Mm-hmm. Like we were seeing a lot of things happen that I have not seen before between those four games. And even the fact that the first three games had all this offense, and then the the fourth game was this <laughs>
0: pitchers' duel. Well, yeah, I was I was going to ask about that because <laughs> you go from twenty runs every right. single game, it seems like, to now you know, or the first two innings taking over an hour to okay. Remember the first game? It took us two in, or this long to like play two hours, two innings, and now four, we played minutes six or whatever. because yeah. the, everything was moving so quickly. So it, it was such a drastic change from from the first three.
3: Yeah, we talked a little bit about this post-game. I mean, it's tough to beat any team four times in a row, uh, especially on back-to-back days like that. And when you hit that much when you're outside, that's the first time we'd really been outside for that extended period of time. Players are tired. You know, Northland was playing their eighth and ninth games uh, in eight days. We were playing our first time outside that many hours. I mean, players are going to be tired. Even, Mm -hmm. Even with as many guys as we're able to start and is able to get in there, it's going to take its toll, and I think that's kind of why you notice both teams. You we went with Flanagan in game four, who we know is going to throw strikes, traditionally, Phil's the guy who just pounds the zone for us. Hackbarth is the same way for Northland, he's not their most overpowering pitcher, but he didn't walk a guy that game and kept him mm-hmm. in the game. So, and even the, the batters, you could tell they were just missing, like they and I attribute that to fatigue, especially early in the season fatigue and being outside. You know, we're as you mentioned earlier with the the weather, we're back inside again today, so we're just not accustomed to being outside and in the conditions, and especially when the wind is blowing like that for two days. You know, I was honestly I was surprised the offense was as high as it was in, in Game One on Sunday. I had anticipated both
0: games looking more like Game Four than than Game Three. Mm-hmm. From a, a player's standpoint, wait, I mean, what do do you prefer a game with that kind of offense because you you have that cushion as a pitcher, or do you would you rather have that, that tighter game?
2: Uh, definitely the higher score. I mean, as a pitcher, the higher scoring games, it's nice to have that run differential just to know, especially in days like that when both teams are just smashing the ball. Like, oh, if one one goes out or they go on a good – get a few runs an in inning, it's like you still have that that gap in there where you you think your offense can still come back. But those tight games are also pretty fun as a pitcher too because it, it feels – there's a lot of energy in those high-scoring games, but there's a lot of energy in the close ones too. Because you're like you're all tensed up. You're like, you're well. The game hinges on every pitch, then exactly. Like yeah, it's 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 one pitch at a time in those close scoring games. And they're pretty fun to play too.
0: All of that said, have you ever had a four-game set with that much offense that you can remember? Not not here at UWS.
3: When I was at UMD, that second year with that team, that, that was honestly a a regular weekend for that team they were very very good and very very offensive heavy so it, it i you know it's funny i sent my wife a, a text after the games and said i felt a lot like coach rents and it was very reminiscent of that second year at umd for me just you know we kind of talked if you look at our stolen bases in the first six games we were all over we were getting taken bases taken bases taken bases we didn't really have that many this weekend it's tough to steal bases when it's home run, double, double, home run. like you just the opportunities aren't there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, in some ways it felt very reminiscent of that. you know, and I don't know if we've had it in my time here at UWS, it's usually been Saturday. we've been big offensively, and then Sunday has been some, uh, again, not as big offense or kind of struggle to get the bats going. So I think it was the first time that really since I've been here, that we've been able to do it back-to-back
0: days like that. What do you pull out of this weekend then? What do you, what do you take on with you now as you get inch yourself closer to that conference season?
3: Honestly, I think the thing that I had mentioned it earlier was just that, that game two when Dante was able to come in and hang those zeros and we were able to fight back and the team was able to stay up. You know, looking forward with this upcoming series with St. John's at their place. That's again, it's more firsts for us. This team is again so new. It'll be the first time we've played a nine-inning game this season. It'll be the first time we've played two a nine-inning doubleheader, which will be reminiscent or which will be what we do once we get to conference play. You know, so we're still doing first things of the year, even though we're ten games in. We're still just continuing to move forward and build on what we've done. So I think what we take away from that is no matter what the score is, we can come back offensively and play. We know that in a four-game series or even for us in a two-game series, once we get to conference play, no matter who we play, each game is its own unique game. I think I hope that's the lesson that we take away. You look at they were all different. I guess game one and game three relatively similar, but game one we put up a bunch of runs and are able to kind of coast to a victory. Game two we have to come all the way back from behind, a big deficit. You know, game three, they scored in the top of the first. You know, they took the lead right away. We were able to answer right back in the bottom of the first and and then kind of extend that lead out. And then in game four, like you said, it's that pitcher's duel. So we should feel comfortable that we know how to win in different ways. I think that's one of the biggest things we can take away from that. But then also just that each game is gonna be different. Just because you win game one of a doubleheader doesn't mean you're gonna win game two. Just because you lose game one and and Dante will tell you we've talked about this for the last four years, but I think to actually see it play out that way in such a short span mm-hmm. helps it become more real and helps it become more a, a real thing moving forward. I suppose
0: that's a an important piece too. You know, I was just thinking of this as you as you talked, and we've talked about this a little bit over the last year because you have essentially two classes that are being introduced to college baseball right now having not played last year so being able to go through something like that and, and learn all of those lessons is doubly important I guess
3: yeah in, in many ways it is um, you know we've, we've talked about this too how quickly this team can grow and how quickly it can learn those lessons is really going to determine what this season looks like mm-hmm. and it it like you said it's so unique not having last season and I look around the conference, you know, it's many of the teams that were picked higher than us in the preseason ranking, and that is what it is, but Bethany doesn't have these challenges. Northwestern doesn't have these challenges. CSS is a little bit more so. They're a relatively middle. They have some returners. They have some new guys. They're, they're a bit of a mix, but of those top teams that we're going to be competing with, we more so than all of them, I think, need these lessons early because we are a little bit younger than they are.
1: I really liked what you said when we did the interview for day two of the doubleheader, when you said to me, basically, I don't know what to expect today at all. <laughs> I mean, that was basically, the, the, like, it was basically kind of, a, well, yesterday was great. We did some really good things yesterday. You know, scored 37 runs, got two wins, came from behind to get a win. But he's like, this is the first time we've played on back-to-back days, so I haven't got a clue. It was basically the, the message that you gave me, and I really like the fact that you were very forthcoming and honest about that because it is kind of a... Well, we've got two more games today. I have no idea what to expect, but we're going to roll the ball out. Here's where we're going to start, and let's go play. Like, that was basically, you know, kind of the way the Sunday's games went.
3: And I think this team, especially being as new as it is, being that the whole for this team is going to have to be greater than the sum of its parts. We have so many guys that can play in different roles. We don't have, you know, pre-pandemic that year before, the starting lineup was pretty much everybody in the conference knew what it was going to be. Everybody on the team knew what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. We've ran out a different lineup almost every day right now or every game, and we're going to continue to do that because if you start looking at the stats, everybody's playing well. Like There are a yeah. lot of guys playing well and doing well. Um, now, when you do that, I think from a coaching standpoint, it is who's going to be hot today, who's going to play well. What I'm not 100% sure how this is going to play itself out, but there's also some comfort in knowing exactly kind of how you finish that. If we just go play baseball, we have the guys that will win us baseball games. And who's going to step up out of this crew? I don't know. Is it going to be Dante coming in? Is it going to be Isaac Fugere hitting two home runs? Who, you know, who knows who's going to be the guy today? But I think for us, we have enough guys that it can be anybody on any given day, and that's really what this team is going to need to kind of hang its head on as the year moves forward as opposed to, I think, some years in the past where it's been, all right, if we can just get back to the heart of the order, we know they can do it. If we can just mm-hmm. get back to this starter, we know he can shut them down. Uh, this team isn't built this way, and it, and it makes it more fun in some ways to go to the ballpark to kind of see who is going to be the guy to step up. But also from a coaching standpoint, it is, I just got to trust that we're going to get it done. And I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like or how it's going to work today, but that, that can make it entertaining and fun. But it definitely, um, it's not as kind of, I don't know, predetermined is not the right idea or not the right word, but just um, it's a little
0: bit harder to predict how each day is going to play out. I see you nodding over there. So, I mean, this is very different from what you experienced your first couple of years here.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, those first couple of years, I mean, especially going from like freshman to sophomore year, not many, basically the our batting lineup, our heart of our order was the same four guys. And to go for this year, especially over this past weekend, I saw that pretty much anybody can come off the bench and go in and do something to help this team win, or anybody can come in from the bullpen and help the team get a win too. I mean... It was, it was really good this weekend to see that anybody can come into the game and do their part on the team. I mean,
1: yeah. You definitely played more guys than I had seen you before. I mean, there were <laughs> yeah. definitely a lot more guys that saw field time than I'm used to seeing from your teams. Usually, you're, like you said, your teams you know, starting nine are pretty much you know, determined. It's just a question of who's going to start. But you were moving guys all over the place you know, this weekend. And, you know, again, that, that speaks to an idea of you know, we're trying to kind of figure ourselves out, but it's fun along the way because we do have all these options. And let's see what different guys can do.
3: And it also you know, it gives us some options late in games, too. We have some guys that are fast, some guys that are power hitters, some guys that are defensive specialists and those types of things. So that's why I think these upcoming games against St. John's and St. Olaf, nine-inning doubleheaders, what those extra two innings, how those roles get defined in those situations uh, are so important to get that done before we get to a conference game where we have to play 2-9 uh, in doubleheader. You know, like you said, we have 17 guys that have played in 5 or more games. We've only played 10 games. So 17 guys have played in half of our games already. We have 11 with home runs, 10 with stolen bases. 6 different pitchers have a win, 5 different pitchers have a save. 13 different guys have seen the mound. That that's I a take lot of some <laughs> I take some pride. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a ton of absolutely. guys having yeah. gotten time. Yeah. I take some pride in it, and especially when I'm recruiting when everybody wants to come in and play right away and that we do play more players here than a lot of college programs do, and it's not. Maybe they don't start, but we try to get them as many at bats as we can, even when we do have that that standard lineup that we're running out. So I, I take a lot of pride. But this is even a lot of guys yeah. for me, and and yeah. what I tell recruits. It's, but again, it's good. I I think it's good. It's depth. You don't know when an injury is going to happen, when something's going to happen, you know. And and I think that. There's comfort as a player. I know there was comfort knowing that you're showing up to the ballpark. I'm playing second base. I'm hitting second in the lineup. There, there's definitely a comfort knowing that as a player. But I think from a team, team standpoint, there's also some comfort knowing, well, if this guy is struggling, we have another guy who we know can step in and get the job done and help us win. So there, there is a balance there. And I think that balance is something that we're going to have to continue to refine as we start getting into conference play. Um, so I think that's kind of where the upcoming challenge becomes for this team especially.
0: As an upperclassman, Dante, when you start talking about basically you have two freshman classes here because you have a group that didn't get a whole lot of time on the field, as an upperclassman, how how do you what how do you take the the leadership role there and and work with these these younger players because you have so many basically double of what you would normally have mm-hmm. that have never experienced you know, essentially playing a nine inning doubleheader like Coach said, or four games yeah. over two days. How do you take on that leadership role and help these younger players through that?
2: I think it's just important to, you know, let them know throughout the games, like in a four game stretch like we just had, you know, if you don't play the first game and you feel like you should have gotten that bat and you didn't, just know that there's three more games left or in a nine, two nine inning game doubleheaders. Like, just because you didn't start the game doesn't mean you're not going to go into this game you like you 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 might have a spot on this team to come in and go base run and steal a base to get into running position like it's important just like make sure guys know that just because you don't start a game or just because you didn't play in the last game doesn't mean that you're just not playing all season you're not going to get time I mean like it's important to let them know that everybody has a spot on this team I like we've talked to like I think we said 65, 70% of our team has never played in a conference game. I mean, that's wild. Yeah, it's, I mean, even (laughs) that's wild. I'm a senior and I've never played in an actual conference game. Like, I've played conference teams, but never played in a conference game. So it's just like, it's important to let guys know that, like, their time is going to come.
1: Well, definitely the numbers bear that out, Frank, like you were just talking. That's an unbelievable number. Guys are coming in and out, you know, and that's going to continue, you know, and that's good because it keeps everybody on the roster involved. Everybody's engaged, you know.
3: Yep, and I, I think the unique opportunity there, and I've used this term with the team before, is it's, I think in this program, and especially when I came in, the, the weight of the history and the want to kind of break free from that was so powerful that it just kind of held us back in ways and would we, kind of get in our way and we would stumble over it. 70% of these guys haven't played a conference game. Well, they care about the past? I mean, just it's a clean slate. Like you have an opportunity to just start fresh and start clean and and whatever it brings it brings, that's okay. But we don't have a lot of that history that I think has kind of gotten in our way or we've let get in our way in the past. Do I think there's value in experience? Oh yeah, absolutely. That <laughs> but that's but that's again why Dante and why the seniors and why the upperclassmen are so important and also why these games Early in the year, you know, you talk about just being happy to be out on on the field. Yep, no doubt. But what can we learn from these? How can we take the lessons that we've learned and get ready for conference play? Because it is going to be different. There is a different sense. There is a different feeling. Can we know that we've done it in the past in a short amount of time? Even if that is, you know, some US Bank games, the games this weekend, the six we have coming up before conference play starts. How much how fast can we learn things and how quickly can we take what we've learned and apply that to conference games? I just I mean, I think that's the challenge. and again, that's you know, you asked Dante about being a leader, you know, and he said, it's just helping guys understand kind of their roles in that. I think too, you know, Dante was in my first recruiting class in that class in particular, I think does a good job of having that sense of we want things to be this way. We want things to go a certain way, and that's if we're down, we're not going to be a team that gives up and caves right away. We're going to try to fight back, and I think that it's easy for first-year players to not know or to get sucked into the, holy man, we're down 11, I've never had this happen to me before, this is impossible, but I think a lot of our upperclassmen, whether it was Dante, whether it was Rolf, whether it was Flanny, whether it was Mike Rodriguez, were like, hey, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, and that energy from the upperclassmen I think helps instill some of those things on that clean slate that we're really trying to, to rewrite. And I guess I wouldn't even say rewrite, trying to write now and trying to create that, that since it does feel like
0: a, a brand new start in a lot of ways. I'm glad you brought up recruiting. That's a great segue because getting a little more personal with, you no Dante, you're the, you're, I, I use the, the word legacy because your parents went here. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the, the heritage here of the Bender family.
2: Um, well, just to start, I mean, my parents, my dad played baseball here, my mom played softball here, and they met here, eventually got married, and everything. And I guess when I was graduating high school and stuff, that wasn't what I was looking. I wasn't like, oh, I want to go to my parents' alma mater or whatever. It's just, but well, once coach like reached out to me and I started, you know, finding academic programs that I wanted to study, I was like, uh, this could be kind of cool. Like, I like you said, to like, carry on the legacy of playing here. And then next year my brother's going to come up here too. He, he took a year off to go join the guard, but he's going to come up next year, and like it would be cool to carry that on again. And you coached
0: against him in high school, you mentioned.
3: Yep, when I was a high school coach, we were teams in the same conference, and his dad was the coach, so I've actually coached against his dad, <laughs> coached against him as a player. I've played town ball, local town ball. I've played against both of them. I think there's some... Uh, dispute yeah, about, who, about who's, got the, who's got the better end of it. I, I, you know, I, it sounds like Dante thinks he struck me out, but I'm not sure if that actually ever happened.
2: I, I don't want to go on the record, but I, I think it happened. You're I officially know. on the record. Yeah. This is the uh, official record. You don't record. have to, like,
1: fess up anything. You know, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the, that's the nice thing about these round tables is yeah. we get all these nice little, little <laughs> nuggets,
2: but and like the family thing is cool too, like to have a lot of family members come up here, but it's also cool to, for me and my brother, I mean, to come up from a, a really small town. Like it's really cool to come up here and have like finally got my first win and stuff. It's cool to have success coming from a town where people don't really get out of there very often. So it's kind of awesome.
0: It, it brings up another thing that I guess I didn't talk about, but last week we were able to announce a change to our spectator policy. Was it nice having people there?
2: It was, yeah. To have my family there, I mean, obviously you couldn't have all, right. it was only two people for family, but you know, they were standing outside of the fence just to have my family there to senior year to see me get my first win. It was pretty awesome. Yeah.
0: And I, I can imagine it added a little more normalcy for for you too, coach, being that you went through fall ball and nobody was allowed into the, into the complex and you were able to have your family there, players' families there. It was a little more normal even if, if everybody was wearing facial protection.
3: Yep, absolutely. I think definitely for the players. I think anything we can do to, to help them feel more comfortable, kind of with, like you said, still having face masks in the dugout and things like that, but Getting closer to what seems more familiar and what seems more normal, I, I think, is definitely comfortable. In uh, big, I know there's definitely a lot of work that goes into making that happen with the new protocols and everything like that. But I think, especially for our student athletes, I think that payoff is huge. And
2: mm-hmm.
3: you know, I think it was the sixth inning of, of game one on Sunday, and my four year old was done. He was just screaming and laying on the ground. So. It was good to see him there, but it was also, you know, a, little, a slight, slight distraction, but we love him anyway.
1: <laughs> I think well, it makes it actually like a family event at the ballpark, though. Yep, and that's kind of yeah. like, that's that's the part that was missing up until now. Like I think it's cool, weekend. too,
2: is, um, like, I feel like in years past, we didn't get a, a huge amount of fans at games and stuff, or, like, students didn't, student like, especially other students, didn't really come to the baseball games because it was, like, middle of the day or whatever. And now that there's a chance for, like, spectators at games like they didn't get to go to hockey games or basketball games like baseball and softball games these spring sports are students chances to go out and watch sporting events like we're going to get more people at our games and hope i mean safety wise probably shouldn't be but you know if we can hit that hundred person limit that'd be pretty cool to get that many people at a game well right. and
1: i mean it was great you know john and i saw these people also after the game i mean some of the alumni came up from the cities. So carrie albertson was there Yep. This weekend, um, for I think he was there on Sunday. I he don't know sure if he was Sunday. there on Saturday, but he he came up on Sunday. I got a a Twitter message from Tyler Cronstadt who's another UWS baseball alum, asking, you know, what's the policy? Can I get in if I come up? And I told him, yeah, you can come. You know, it's it's a hundred people, so if you're you know if you want to come up, feel free at some weekend. You know, um, so yeah, people are responding to that, and I think that the fact that you know the, the policy has been altered now, at least for hopefully the rest of the spring of twenty one here. Yeah, I, I think there will be plenty of people going to games if they get the opportunity just because they've been itching for it for so long. they have mm-hmm. been just, you know, people have been sidelined for so long, you know, that, heck, you know, baseball, outdoor, and the weather was, you know, despite the wind, it was warm enough that you could come and enjoy the two games, you know, the, the four yeah. games this weekend. So, um, yeah, it, it was really, it was really neat to see how many people came out to watch
2: the two games. Yeah, I think it was almost 700 days without our, without, or that was our first 693 point. days, coach? Yeah. Is Six that the number?
0: 693
3: since we played in Superior, yep. Yeah.
0: Well, here's to not having 693 more between now and the next one, that's for sure. And I definitely feel you on uh, when the kid is done, he is done. My two-year-old is very much in that same boat. Donde Bender, Frank Poofall, thanks for stopping by. Thank you. We're going to take a timeout. We'll come back with more of the Eye of the Swarm right after this. Can I borrow the sports page?
1: Are we sure we're ready for this expansion?
0: Of course we're ready for it. It's a great idea. Let's celebrate with a vacation. I'm thinking (laughs)
2: Hawaii. We're ready for ya. Is it okay if my friend comes with? Of course. Imagination's always welcome here.
0: Bring us your best ideas. Let's see how we can help. National Bank of Commerce. Imagination's welcome. Final segment here of this week's edition of Eye of the Swarm, and uh, good, always good to talk baseball.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, and we certainly did have plenty to talk about.
0: Well, always good to talk uh, you baseball. Never,
1: you never lack. I mean, one of the things I like about Coach Puffall and his players, they're very, very forthright with their answers, and uh, um, I thought we got some some good points made there mm-hmm. as to where they're at and what they're trying to do. And uh, I mean, what a wild weekend it was. Yeah, no doubt about that. I mean, you and I were... We spent a lot of time looking at each other <laughs> in between innings, just not even saying anything. No, just, just huh. That was something. Yep.
0: <laughs> you know, like, and that was something again. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: And we did a lot after each inning. So, right. So uh, yeah, well, you and I, uh, we definitely got into the nonverbal communication side of
0: it. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I think uh, everybody in the press box did. Right. But <laughs> that was,
0: yeah, it was, uh, it was a wild weekend for sure. That said, though, that's... That's in the past. We're moving into this week and uh, a whole bunch of cancellations so far to start the week. Women's soccer yesterday for today, uh, tennis – Men's soccer, baseball. Yep. The baseball game's rescheduled for May 12th.
1: Yep, so a while away. So out now. that's uh, out well up, over
0: yeah. a month out that they will make up that non-conference series. It's UMAC opponent, but a non-conference right. series. And then we mentioned earlier, women's soccer rescheduled for next Tuesday, the 30th. When yep. We'll, yep, this coming Tuesday. We'll make up that game that was supposed to be, paid, laid, be played last evening, but uh, still a few games on the docket here yep. for the rest of this week. Yep,
1: yep. We'll start out with volleyball. Uh, they start out tomorrow, though they're taking on Northwesterns first time they've been at home. Uh, They're actually going to play their next two matches at home, the final two regular season matches of 2021 for Coach Lynn Diedrich in the L-Jackets. That's a 5 p.m. start against Northwestern tomorrow. Um, That 5 p.m. start due to the fact there's going to be a JV match as well thrown in there. But that will be a 5 p.m. between the L-Jackets and the Eagles at the Mertz tomorrow as we record this on a Wednesday, 5 p.m., the opening serve there, and then they'll be back at home for their final home match again, regular season, of 2021, taking on North Central. I'm thinking they're probably going to get a home playoff game in there. In I somewhere. would imagine, yeah. yeah. Uh, what their record I think in you're conference. probably the eighth. Yeah, something of, along those lines. But they'll ball. be taking on North Central to close out the regular season at home on Saturday, 3 p.m., the opening serve there. So that's what's coming up for them. Softball, meanwhile, they have as we record this on a Wednesday. They have a pair of doubleheaders scheduled between now and I'm not sure when our next podcast is. It always depends. Right. Right. But uh, they're scheduled to play UW-River Falls this Saturday at uh, uh, the NBC Spartan Sports Complex, the first two home games of Coach Melissa Fracker's uh, career as the L Jacket head coach in games that we're supposed to actually have on 91.3 Just hoping the
0: weather cooperates. Yeah, hoping
1: the weather cooperates on that one. Uh, 1 and 3 p.m., The opening pitches of that doubleheader against the Falcons, the non-conference series, I'll be on with the pregame, probably 1240, 1245, I'm guessing, somewhere along those lines. Mm -hmm. And then they're scheduled to be at home again on Wednesday, taking on North Central again at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex, and that's a two-game doubleheader against the Rams, 3.30 and 5.30 p.m., the opening pitches of those two. So that's what's on the docket for them. Baseball, meanwhile, as we talked about, had their doubleheader with North Central that was scheduled for this afternoon at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex was postponed due to the weather. That game will now be played on May 12th. So we're more than a month out on that one, about a month and a half almost. Um, and with start times at one thirty and 4 o'clock, those are also going to be played at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. So those are down the road a little bit. Uh, Saturday, they're on the road at St. John's for two nine-inning games. First time they'll play two nine-inning games this year mm-hmm. against the Johnnies. 1 p.m. the opening pitch of game one. 3.30 p.m. the tentative start time of game two. And then they're also supposed to play at home on Tuesday, this coming Tuesday against St. Glasgow. There'll be a single nine, I think. 2 p.m. the opening pitch there. Again, those are all games that are spo- supposed to be played, but you know, with right. weather, you never know. It's yeah. never yeah. known. Men's and women's tennis. Uh, women had their match against UMD scheduled for this afternoon again on this Wednesday, postponed due to inclement weather. Both teams are now idle for a while. Uh, so they won't be back in action until April third when they play at Hamlin. So they get the week off and probably a, a good time for them to get a break. Mm-hmm. They've been playing a lot of tennis lately, right? So they need a break. Men's soccer had their game against St. Glasgow postponed as well. That was on this day. They're next at home on Sunday, taking on St. Cloud State. That's five thirty p.m. That'll be an exhibition game against the Huskies. Again. I think it's been moved back to three thirty. Has it moved been been back now? moved to three mm-hmm. thirty. Okay, because it was at what was it three thirty? It was three thirty. Then it was five thirty, and now it's, it's three thirty again. Three thirty. Okay. Anyway, that's when they're supposed to be back. They're also supposed to play next Wednesday at Northland College. It'll be at 4.30 p.m. Um, start time, and I guess that
0: will probably count as their official season opener now? I think – well, no, because the I believe the game Sunday is a regular season game. Oh, they are going to count that as a regular yeah, season? I thought I it might still so. be a po- uh, exhibition. No, I believe that one is a regular season
1: game. Okay, so they are going to count the game with St. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that I guess that's the season opener. But anyway – the Yellow Jacks will play their first conference opponent, we'll just say that, sure. on Wednesday at the Northland College, 4.30 p.m., again, at Ponzio, Ponzio Stadium, which, by the way, great great facility. Fantastic facility. Yeah. it's Really of, nice. It's one of the best stadiums. Yep. It's, it might be the best stadium in the Northland. Right. right you know. Agreed.
0: Um, really nice. Yep.
1: Women's soccer, uh, they, again, had their game, as we talked about, that was postponed. They were supposed to play Northland College yesterday at the NBC Spartan Sports Complex. Now they have an exhibition game coming up. On Sunday against Gustavus Adolphus, three p.m. the opening kick there, and then they are supposed to be one. Is it one? Yes. Okay, it's back they to
0: keep...
1: one. <laughs> Sorry, it was <laughs> one three. Now it's back to I'm one back again. To one now.
0: Okay, yeah, they, they, they wouldn't be able to start at three if the guys are playing at three. That's a
1: good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. There's only one field over there. Can't Correct. play at the same time. Correct. Okay, one p.m. now against Gustavus Adolphus. That's an exhibition though for the women. Yep. And then on uh, Tuesday uh, is when they're, I guess, supposed to start their official campaign now. Uh, that's the makeup game against Northland College that was scheduled for yesterday. They're just going to push it out a week. Uh, this coming Tuesday, 1 p.m. Instead of being a 7 p.m. game, it's now a 1 p.m. game at mm-hmm. the MPC Spartan Sports Complex. Men's and women's outdoor track and field. Not to be outdone, they finally kick off their outdoor portion of the season after uh, finishing up the indoor portion a couple of weeks back. They are now back in action, and they're going to a meet that has one of the greatest names I've ever seen. For I love the the, the meet names. Of some of these like cross country and also these uh, track and field running of the cows. Yeah, that's a that's a great one. This one might be the best though. They're going to be down in Lacrosse at the UW Lacrosse Great River Rust Buster, hosted (laughs) by UW Lacrosse at the Veterans Memorial Sports Complex in Lacrosse. 1 p.m. It gets started down there in Lacrosse, and Lacrosse, by the way, has the best basically outdoor track and field facility in the upper That's Midwest. why the state meet is held. Yeah. I mean and it's but I just love the name the Great River Rustbuster. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's the official name of the meet. But I again like 1 p.m. it gets action gets underway for the Yellow Jackets, both men and women down in lacrosse on Saturday. That is I love that name. No, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <a> good one. <laughs> that's right up there. So that's what's coming up this week. Um, you know, again, if for any schedule changes, uh consult com Um, because Mr. Garver and Tyler Birnbaum and everybody else in the sports information department tries their best to keep up with everything
0: that's going on. But uh, that's what's coming up this week. So, Knock on wood that we managed to find a way to get all these these things in and keep (laughs) rambling on. Yeah. (laughs) So ramble on, both to the
1: Loyola Chicago Ramblers and to the (laughs) Yellow Jacket teams as well.
0: (laughs) Our production engineer this week once again is Elliot Sweary. He's the Big Sound, Matt Johnson. I am John Garver. Thank you very much for joining us on this week's edition of I of the Swarm.